0: Okay, everyone's found Ephesians 4. Why don't we stand and read the Word of God? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, What does it mean except that he also has descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. But it is great to be back with you this morning after a long break for myself through the month of August. But this morning I'd like to do something similar to what I did last year in September, and that's preach a sermon that casts a vision. A sermon that casts a vision uh, for the remainder of what's going to happen this year. You know, often in September, as families, we use the month of September to regroup. Even though we consider January a new year, we, we often think of September as being sort of like the time in which we get our routines back and to gain clarity as to what our family values are and how we want to structure our lives up until the following summer. And so, it's, again, it's important for families in terms of setting a direction. Well, I want to use this time in September, uh, with my first sermon back, to do the same. I want to set a direction for the course of of where we're headed and our individual responsibilities within uh, that direction. So I chose Ephesians 4 to set us on the right course. And the reason is that perhaps there's no other portion of Scripture in the New Testament more descriptive of a church in action than this. It gives clear direction as to what's required from everyone who attends here, including myself, in order to have a healthy ministry and a healthy church family. And so throughout this sermon, we're going to see God's part in this and our part in this. So the first thing I want you to see in this text is that, well, actually, this is about walking worthy, walking worthy in the Lord. And the first thing I want you to notice is that the need for unity within the community. The need for unity within the community. You know, when Paul wrote Ephesians, he was in jail. We pick this up in verse one. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is what he says right off the bat. So in the first three chapters, uh, Paul fills the Ephesians with doctrine. Doctrinal uh, truths to help remind them of the goodness of God and how richly blessed they were in Jesus Christ and what that salvation meant Well beginning in chapter 4 all the way to the end of Ephesians He switches to some degree from doctrine and goes to ethical and practical uh, Teaching in terms of how to live out the Christian life so doctrine for the first three chapters practically how to live out that life knowing your doctrine chapters 4 through 6 and he wants us to walk in a particular way, you'll notice in verse 1. And when I heard walk, uh, walk, walk, when he used that word, I couldn't help think of the 80s. Those of you who were in my age category remember that song by the Bengals? Walk like an Egyptian, right? Well, call, Paul here is calling us to a particular walk, but it's not a Bengals dance move. It's actually walking in worthy to which you've been called. We're to walk in a manner worthy of wh- in which we've been called. So what Paul wants us to do is to sort of look back to move forward. He says, remember what you've been called. This, is a, this, is, this word called is a fancy word in biblical terms, but it really means uh, basically calls. Up, uh, Jesus is getting hold of your life through the Holy Spirit and how you responded to that message of salvation. And so he wants them to look back to move forward. And he says, if you understand your doctrine, it'll change the way you live ethically moving forward. And so really, he calls the church to four virtues found in the Christian faith. In order to have a worthy walk, to walk in in relation to the calling in which you've been saved, you have to. he wants every individual to reflect four attributes, four foundational truths necessary to Christianity. And so he says you walk in humility, walk in gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. So what is humility? If if we're to embrace humility to preserve the unity of the church, what is humility? The best definition actually comes from Philippians chapter 2. We see humility described in detail. Paul writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, Having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of the selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. So the first thing we learn about humility is it's a mindset. It's a mindset. And there's qualities in this mindset that's really important. You are to value others above yourself. You're to, each of you, to put the interests of others above your own. And Jesus himself made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. And so if we do this, we actually become a servant to one another. A servant to one another. So I was thinking about this. In every charge, there's something that Paul is asking us to renounce. If we're to be like this, there's something we're not to be. So if we're going to be humble, and we're going to actually see people as more important than ourselves, and take their interests above our own, we are going to renounce self-centeredness and self-importance. Self, self-importance and self-centeredness. So, you know, I'm just looking out in the congregation, I'm not picking on you because I think you need to embrace this more than I do, but if I look at Rob, I'm to look at Rob and look at him as being more important than me and to put his needs above my own. He is called to do the same. I see, Shauna. And Shauna, you're new, but Shauna, if if we embrace you as a community, even though we don't know you well, and we just just through like just general conversation, when you enter this church, the people in this church are to embrace you and take your needs above their own and see you as more important than they are, and you're to do the same in return. And this is why one of the commentaries I was reading made this comment. It's a great paradox in Christianity that makes humility the avenue to glory. Because the avenue to glory in our world is to, be, is to actually become the most important thing. I watch Formula One uh, uh, driving uh, off of Netflix and uh, have an app now and I watch the races every week with Janice. And the whole thing is about these drivers basically being worshipped as gods. And the whole team, they don't care how they treat one another, it's all about them rising to the top. These these drivers are completely self-centered and see themselves as the most important thing on the planet. Even to the point that when they get in accidents, I've seen drivers go up to each other at 300 kilometers an hour when they wipe out. Instead of saying, are you okay, they basically start swearing at one another, giving each other the bird, and saying, it's your fault. Well, that's not the path. Of the Church of Jesus Christ. Christianity is an assault on our individualism, an assault on our self-importance, and on our, in our own honor. What about gentleness? The Greek word is really meekness, to be meek. If you're meek or gentle, you're not overbearing, you're not aggressive, you're not intimidating, you're not forceful, you're calm-spirited. You demonstrate a sensitivity to others, and you, and you avoid violence and threatening behavior. So what are we to renounce? What are we to renounce? Harshness. You're to, resent, to renounce harshness, having a bully personality. You know, getting loud to get what you want, using your p- body posture to get what you want. Um, you know, putting people in their place with quick words and so on and so forth. A gentle spirit is one that renounces harshness. Intimacy and relationships will never be formed if you always feel under threat. If I feel threatened by you in any way because of your lack of gentle spirit, I will have a hard time having an intimate relationship with you because you always make me feel like I'm in danger. And if I, as a leader, threaten and intimidate you, by the way I treat you with lack of gentleness, you will slowly remove yourself from this church community. And when I phone you and ask you, why aren't you coming back? You're gonna tell me another reason other than the truth because you don't want to have conflict. Harshness is absolutely critical to unity in the community. How about patience? The Greek word is long suffering long suffering you know that patience is an attribute of God throughout the entire scripture 2nd Peter 3 9 the Lord is patient towards you wishing none to perish but all to come to repentance that's the same passage he says that days like a thousand years to the Lord so when you ask why isn't God like dealing with all the sin in the world and like smiting people he's patient he wants a bigger family so he's letting people live their lives to call them to salvation so they can respond to his gospel i learned a new a new uh, verse in the uh in the old testament this summer that i'd never heard before um or if i read it i just skipped over my my reading but it's isaiah 519 listen to this woe to those who say let god hurry woe to those who say let god hurry You know, God's not one to play in the band Alabama, I'm in a hurry to get things done, I rush and rush, you know that song? God doesn't play in the band Alabama, he rejects those country songs, right? He's very patient, and uh, he would uh, not buy that ticket to that song. Yeah, God's not in a hurry, Isaiah 519 makes that clear. So woe to those who say, God, hurry up, hurry up, work on my agenda. God's like, no, I, I got this, I know what I'm doing. So what are are we to renounce if we uh, want to be patient? The urgency of your own agenda. You also have to endure annoyances. And you have to have delayed gratification as a mindset. These are the key critical things if you're going to renounce um, being in a hurry and be patient. Finally, tolerance and love. The greek word is to bear up or to put up with we're to bear one another you know i recognize that all of us at some point are really a pain in the butt to deal with Right? right i'm a pain in the butt to you at times you're a pain in the butt to me at times let's not start yelling out when and how that occurred but that we we've all annoyed one another we've all been difficult to deal with at times but the, but the Lord is calling us to bear up with one another. Hold each other up despite these annoyances. Again, this is really important if we're going to survive in unity in this church. So what are we to renounce then? Again, I think we need to renounce annoyances of one another. Because we all have personality traits that drive us crazy. But endure annoyances and let go of our personal rights and preferences. You have to let your rights and preferences go if you're going to bear up and and, uh, deal with one another. I read this in my commentary this week. He goes, be careful of standing on your own rights, for then God may stand on his. (laughs) And he will tell you, bear up. Bear up. Endure the annoyances. Put your personal preferences aside, because that's what I do. Notice though that all these virtues have to do with relationships with others. This is why Paul then says this in verse 3. He says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I like the NIV because he actually says, make every effort to keep the unity of peace. So be diligent or make every effort. Why do, we, why do I really like this? Because Paul knows how much hard work it is to be in relationship with one another. It's hard work. But if we as a church preserve in this, or persevere in this, and embrace Paul's instruction, we will become spiritually healthy. If we disregard this, there's going to be a lot of hurts that we're going to have to deal with. And so we are called to maintain what Jesus has already established. Let me say that again. We are called to maintain what God has already established. What do I mean by that? Notice that he says, be diligent to persevere, or or preserve the unity of peace. Jesus Christ established the unity in the church. No matter what race you come from, what uh, background you come from, what language you speak, when you receive Jesus Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit. You thou become part of his body, one body. Who established the church? Who established the unity? Jesus Christ did on the cross. He's the one who created the church. Um, It exists because of Him. The community is not the source of its own existence. Christ is. So if that's the case then, we're not to establish unity or create unity. We're to maintain what Jesus has already done. So in essence then, we are stewards of unity. Christ established the unity. He created the unity. We are now stewarding what He gave us. And he wants us to take his spirit that lives in us and obey that spirit's voice by living in humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance. Our job is to value and maintain what Jesus created. Our problem then, if I was to summarize these four things and where we're challenged, is gonna be in our pride and our ego. And William Temple said this, pride is always the root of spiritual failure. Pride is always the root of spiritual failure. So then Paul in verses four through six then provides a theological basis for the nature of unity we are to maintain. Why why go this way? Well he says there's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all And through all and in all. Paul thinks and well not thinks he knows that the unity of the church needs to be motivated by our theological understanding of the tenets of the Christian faith. Now just so I'm not trying to scare any of you with this word but theology is is what he's doing here he's giving a theological understanding but the word theology really comes from two Greek words that combined mean the study of God. So what's theology? It's the study of God. So in Christian theology is simply an attempt to understand God as revealed in the Bible. And so he helps us with theology understand the, the, the nature of the Christian faith. There's a sevenfold oneness, if you will. There's one body. So while there might be multiple churches spread about the world, even in Okotoks, um, we're not to be seen as different bodies. So there's the you know the, the Free Methodist Church, there's the Evangelical Church, there's an Alliance, there's a, a vineyard church. Jesus doesn't make those distinctions. He doesn't make those distinctions. He's not going to say in heaven, welcome you free Methodists from Genesis House. He's going to say, welcome, you know, welcome my servants. You are one body. You you're might be local congregations, but you're one body, you're into Christ. There's one hope. Believers share a common hope. You don't have different hopes. We all have the hope of eternal life and knowing and experiencing the Lord one day in his presence there's one faith yeah there's multiple religions in the world but there's one true faith there's one gospel message there's one baptism I don't know if that's water baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming into relationship with him I'm not sure what he means here but it doesn't matter the point is that it's, it's one there's not different water baptisms and, and there's not different baptizing of the Holy Spirit there's one spirit he says that indwells in us and leads us. There's one Lord, there's only one Savior who reigns over his church, and there's only one God, the creator and giver of life. So here's what I think Paul's saying. If believers share in the same Lord, believe the same gospel, experience the same grace, share in the same hope, should they not check the ego at the door and live their lives in pursuit of unity and to strive to uphold everything Christ lived and died for, And the answer is a resounding yes. So with all this talk of unity, one might come to the conclusion then that there's no room for diversity within the church. Because you can't be diverse and unified at the same time, can you? Well, Paul says, no, that's not how it works. And this leads us to the second point in the sermon, the need for diversity within the community. And we find this as in verses 7 through 13. So I wanna point out three observations Paul wants us to see in this. He's gonna tell us where the diversity comes from, really who the source of the gifts are, what some of the gifts are for, no sorry, what some of the gifts are, what gifts does he offer the church to make us diverse, and what purpose do the gifts serve? So let's look first of all where the source of diversity comes from and who gives the gifts. We pick it up in verse seven through 10. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also has descended into lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, and so he might fill all things. clear from Paul's understanding that the Lord is the giver of the gifts. The Lord is the giver of the gifts. Look at verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then in verse 8, it says, he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. And then I should have probably included 11. It says here that uh, he gave some as apostles and so on. So three times in this in this uh, verse, there's this statement about Christ being the giver of these gifts. Christ being the giver of these gifts. It's important because these gifts are not something we can drum up on our own. They're not something I can, you know, practice like right now just to receive. They're, they're, they're Holy Spirit Christ given gifts that He de- determines as He wills. And notice that here that it's not just one gift. It doesn't say Christ gives gives a gift. It's he gives gifts, plural, to men, plural. In other words, the Lord expects variety in his church. So in, um, so you think then, well, if he wants uh, uniform, uh, unity, he'd want uniformity. Well, not according to this text. He doesn't want us to be like clones. You know, it's not like a, a Star Wars movie where we're all stormtroopers, and uh, we think the same, dress the same, uh, carry the same gun walk the same and have the same mandate No, he wants us to have a variety of gifts expressed in this body We're allowed to have unique personalities. We're all going to be gifted differently and we can all read different translations. It's okay So again Paul's really saying this we, we all have received the same spirit but we've been uniquely gifted in order that variety can be expressed in the church so that it can function properly elsewhere in the new testament paul uses the the analogy of a body to get that point across and you may remember this in first corinthians 12. he said even so the body is not made up of one part but of many now if the foot should say because i'm not a hand i do not belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body and if the ear should say because i'm not an eye I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would the, where would the sense of, hearing be? sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And then in verse 27, a summary statement, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Genesis House, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you in here is part of it. God will have gifted you with his Holy Spirit and given you something that you are to use within this community. Now in Corinth, this was a massive correction, because they saw certain spiritual gifts as the mark of superiority, and they believed that you had, if you had X, Y, and Z, especially the gift of tongues in that context, that you were something. And Paul says, yeah, the differences are needed because that's the only way. You can complement one another. And so the body analogy was a correction for the Corinthians to help them all see that all the gifts were necessary within the body of Christ. Tongues was just one of them, which they were flaunting as a spiritual badge. So we all have to have this attitude. I need you because without you, I can't do this. I need you. Because without you, the body of Christ won't function to the same degree as if you were here. So what are the gifts? In verse 11, Paul says this. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers. There are more than, uh, actually there's about four gift lists in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. In many of those places, they do mention these type of leadership positions as gifts, but they also expand on these gifts. So you'll see gifts of prophecy, gifts of uh, distinguishing spirits, wisdom, healings, faith, hospitality, administration, and so on. So there's probably over 20 gifts listed in the, in the New Testament. I haven't, I haven't counted for a long time, but there's probably an excess of 20. But here, notice that uh, Paul emphasizes the leadership positions, those who hold office, I'm not going to spend any time distinguishing between them all if you want to study that on your own you can go ahead but let me just say this it is clear from this text that leadership is important to God within the body of Christ leadership is important to the Lord within the body of Christ now why would I say this well I've seen in my Christian life and experience um, many what I'd call splinter groups from big churches break away and they break away because they read the book of Acts and they see house churches and things like that. And they, they get frustrated with the church of 1,000 or 2,000 people and think, this is not the original way God designed church. And so they break away, for, and they don't want to be under authority of anybody. So they break away thinking, we're going to start this little group and actually do church the way God intended. And what happens over time? They fade, and they're gone, and they never survive. I, I, I'm, I'm sure there have been ones that have survived. But I have no, of no examples in the 18 years of me being a Christian of anyone who survived with that mindset and model. Because why? It's not God's design. <laughs> it's not God's design. When Israel was going to lead um, uh, Egypt, or, or sorry, Moses was going to lead Israel out of Egypt. He appointed Moses as a leader. God did all the plagues and stuff, I mean, just did all, pretty much all the work, but he wanted Moses to lead the people. When Moses died, Joshua became the leader. And we see King David you know, in a prominence over Israel and so on and so forth. God chose Paul to be a leader. He chose Peter to be a leader. These are God's ideas. These are God's ideas. Now this is really important too because think about this. Imagine you're in a small church and no one's taken any leadership and it's just like this, this it's, a good, it's, a, it's a fun idea, but What happens when crisis hits in marriage? Who's gonna be the family that steps up to deal with the marriage problem with no leadership? What's gonna happen when sin starts to get rampant in the group and you're all really, really close friends? You can imagine the texting going back and forth amongst the families going, who's gonna talk to so-and-so? Who's gonna talk to so-and-so? Well, I don't want to. I don't want it. Who's gonna take responsibility for teaching the word? Week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. It's fun to do it once in a while when you get called to serve and you get called to preach. It's fun to do it once every six months or once every eight months. But week in, week out. it's Again, these groups start off well, but they eventually splinter and they fall apart. Kyle uh, Klein-Snodgrass in his commentary said this. No community can exist without leadership of some fashion. And the spirit and institutional order are not antithetical. Having the Holy Spirit lead you and empower your church and having institutional order do not oppose one another. They work together. And God gave the leaders Holy Spirit gifts to lead. So when I lead you, it's not Andrew Dexter's power and authority and, um, and, and wisdom that's coming to you. I'm teaching from God's word, but he gave me this spiritual gift to teach you God's word. Some days I wonder if that gift has departed. But, uh, but I think for the most part, I'm at least getting to second base when I'm up here. But again, like, there's no community can exist without leadership of some fashion. And so Paul says these are some of the spiritual gifts within the body. What about the purpose of the gifts then? What are they for? Well, we pick this up in 12 and 13. He says, these are for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Notice here there's two purposes that the gifts serve and the leadership serves. One, to equip people to serve in order to build up and strengthen the community of believers. That's in verse 12. He says, these are for the equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building of the church body. So we're to be equipped to serve so that we can build one another up and the church community up. So this is great. Because God's purpose in gifting leaders is not to see the gifts as spiritual badges, but to use the gifts that God gave them for the benefit of others, and for the entire church community. And though this idea of the gifts being given to build up the community, is consistent through all the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 14, four times he says spiritual gifts are given for the edification of the church. Not the individual, but for the church body. And so, these gifts are to prepare people to do works of service. Now, I love that Paul doesn't actually give a list of what those works are. And it's probably intentionally didn't, because otherwise we might put limitations on what those works might be. Well, I could tell you this, the list could be endless. In Genesis House, God has equipped myself and people like Roger and Stuart and so on to teach the Word of God, to equip you to do works of service as needed in the church body. Some of these things are formal, they happen on Sunday mornings, but some of these things happen behind the scenes Monday through Saturday. The Lord clearly wants us not to just be give, or, uh, takers, but givers in the church community. And we're all expected to work together to strengthen the church and only as each person fulfills his or her calling is a church truly strong. But the next thing you see here is he wants us to mature. He says he wants us to come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and the stature which belongs to Jesus Christ. I love this because it, what's Paul saying, the Christian life is more than just being forgiven it's the Christian life is way more than just being forgiven he's saying it's about growing in Christ growing in him growing in community it's about maturity it's about getting mature the, the Bible word that is often used is sanctification you're to be sanctified and look at to the degree you're to be sanctified he actually you might think Paul made a mistake here but the standard of, of expectation and desire is to look like Jesus Christ in our character Right? He wants to, read it again, to be a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He wants us to have the characteristics of Jesus. Well, when you read the virtues like gentleness, humility, tolerance and love, patience, those are all things Jesus Christ manifested in his ministry, and we see ample examples in the New Testament. And we're to strive after those by the Holy Spirit's power. It's an interesting verse actually in Hebrews 5.12. This is what the author, the writer says to them. He says to the Hebrew Christians, Hebrews, you should be teachers by now, but instead you have need of others to teach you. You still need milk, or sorry, you need milk, not solid food. So whoever wrote Hebrews is saying this, you must have, they must have been a long con- a congregation who'd been around for a while and had years in the Christian faith. And he said, you guys should have been teaching others by now about Jesus Christ and how to live out this life. Instead, you need milk and the roles are reversed. We do Christianity a disservice if we only preach the, the gospel of forgiveness. Christ's desire for your life is this, is that you are more closely brought into relationship to him so that you will conform to his character and his will. I've said this many times from the pulpit. Jesus doesn't just say, come as you are. He says, um, actually, let me rephrase that. We often say in the church, come as you are. But Jesus adds a piece, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Don't stay as you are, grow. Grow in Christ and grow in the community. Of course, this is a process. And it takes a long time, but it's still a desired outcome. So let me just finish with this. Let me show you what's going on in Genesis House after 10 years. I want you to notice the ministries that are occurring. How how people have stepped up to serve. (coughs) Excuse me. How people have stepped up to serve. And also, if you're looking for a place to serve, this might also give you areas that you could join in any part of the community. So here's what happens in Genesis House in a typical week or month. There's there's elders that serve here. There's a board that serves here. There's a nursery that's headed up by Evie. There's a music side of things with Stephanie and the tech with uh, Kevin. There's a care ministry that's headed up by Callie. To, if we have presented any needs in the church, they're brought to my attention or hers, and we, we, we step to seek up and serve the community in any way we can. There are greeters that are meeting people at the front doors every Sunday. There's the prayer team uh, that meets weekly for prayer meetings, and there's also uh, there's a couple of prayer uh, meetings that happen, two, two separate ones. But there's also the prayer team that goes out in the streets. We're starting a brand new youth ministry that's uh, monthly. There are Bible studies that happen in the men's and women's groups and in the couples. And then we have a communion, in which Mark and Cheryl have taken that on. So these are the things that happen, and now that's not to mention everything else that happens throughout the week. When someone needs their garden vegetables pulled, or someone's sick and needs a meal, or their baby's born and we're, and we're trying to like, do anything we can to mitigate the stress of that. People's cars are broken down and, and there's men will to step up to fix them. We help each other move. There's a lot of administrative things that are required here. So these are the formal ministries that kind of have a name, but the church has ample need on a weekly basis. I do want to say one thing to this, and it's important, and I'm kind of glad that um, John and Charlene are online for this as well. I want to speak about the prayer ministry because I realize that some of you may potentially be hurt um, through this process of what's happened here because I've emphasized this ministry a lot in the last six months. And so in my attempt and in my enthusiasm, I might have accidentally hurt some people because of the emphasis on the prayer ministry because you might think, well, if I'm not part of that, do I not measure up in this church? Or if I'm not part of that, do I have no role in this church? And the answer is, I hope from you hear from my mouth today. Of course not. Of course not. The eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I can say this though, the reason why the prayer ministry became so, so big and so uh, bold and front and centre was because I had no idea in January, after going for 3-4 months, that I was going to meet John and Charlene. I had no idea that they were going to come to Canada. I had no idea what was gonna transpire, and that took a lot of organizational work to get that to go. So it just became the front and center because it was, took so much work. I don't know if you remember, but there was a time when we were putting a lot of effort into elders training. That took a long time and a lot of work. It just so happened that the prayer ministry became the focus over the last six months, and so in my enthusiasm, it was getting a lot of promotion, but I might have accidentally hurt some of you because you thought, well, do I not measure up because I'm not part of it? So again, if that happened to you, I apologize, but I hope you hear from me today that the prayer ministry is one of many things that happens here, and we need everyone to serve to the fullest capacity. So, going on into the future, over the next uh, few months up until Chris, or Christmas, up until uh, summer, what's the goal? We want a Holy Spirit-empowered ministry at Genesis House. A Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. Because the gifts build up the body of Christ and are given for our unity and function, we need to earnestly desire them. In 1 Corinthians 14, three times Paul says, earnestly desire the gifts, earnestly desire the gifts, earnestly desire the gifts. We are going to be a, Holy Spirit, gift-seeking church. Because, when you have the gifts, which we do, but there's things that, I think there's more that God wants to give us, it builds up the body of Christ and strengthens us for the works of service. And so we're gonna seek those. And that's, you can just leave it up to me and how that's gonna unfold as the next few months occur. But we're gonna be gift-seekers. Yeah, I know, ultimately the mark of a church is love. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians was the most gifted church in the New Testament and were the, had the worst report card with God. But I actually do believe we're a loving church. So I think God would say, good for you guys, keep going. But now seek the gifts to fill out the church. I want to encourage everyone to serve. Those who are already serving, to encourage you to do so. And those who, who may be looking for a place in Genesis House, but just come talk to me and i can tell you how you can get involved another big thing for the holy spirit and Power ministry is i want people to be set free set free what do i mean by that we just learned from paul that uh, christianity is not just about being for- forgiven it's about being mature and sanctified to look like jesus christ many of us in here carry hurts Many of you carry hurts from childhood, from our teenage years, from, from, from previous marriages, from family relationships, you name other churches, you name it. I want to, we want to minister to you and set you free. Now, we don't have the power to do it, but the Holy Spirit does. But there's ways in which we can pray for you to get you free from bondage. And I've already seen in our church, the Holy Spirit working in, in miraculous ways in the last uh, six months. And so we want to set you free. We want marriages to flourish. We don't want you just to um, survive, we want you to thrive. We have uh, tools in this church uh, to help you thrive in marriage and not just survive in marriage. We want to set you free from addictions. You know, from, from the addictions of like, there'll be things you're doing privately behind the scenes that only the Holy Spirit knows. We want to set you free from those. We want to set you free from having a lack of sense of purpose and maybe going through depressive states on a regular basis. We want to give you an identity in Christ that you've never, had before, that you've never realized before. The key verse by which we're hanging our hat on this year is Zechariah 4.6. He said, Not by my might, nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by human effort, not by human power, but through the Spirit of God. We will thrive to be a functioning body. Amen.